Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 237, Asser. This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. And thank you very much to Richard, Coley, and Francisco for signing up already. The sons of Rodri, rulers of vast swaths of Wales, have followed in their father's footsteps in their quest to bring all of the Western kingdoms under the command of a single dynasty. Their dynasty. In aid of this, they sought common cause with the Danes of Jorvik and their new king, a man named Guthred. There were rumors surrounding this king. Rumors that likely gave the sons of Rodri Maurer hope. The previous ruler of Jorvik, King Halfdan, had been the scourge of many kingdoms in Britain. But stories were circulating about how this new King Guthred had developed a friendly relationship with the wandering monks of Lindisfarne, and some were even saying that he gained the blessing of the sacred corpse that they carried with him, St. Cuthbert. If true, this placed Guthred on the same level as Alfred as both men had received post-mortem blessings from the itinerant cadaver. Whatever the reason for this alliance, the sons of Rodri had a powerful friend in the north, and this allowed them to direct their attentions southward. The warbands of North Wales were mobilized, and their target was the southwestern kingdom of David, and its king, a man named Hyfath. And King Hyfath was no slouch. There are indications that he brought the kingdom of Ceredigion under his control, and he may have already shown signs that he had plans for Dehaibath as well as several of his neighbors. Now, David was an ancient kingdom, but now it was suddenly facing off with the combined kingdoms of North and Central Wales. And consequently, Hyfath's warbands were stretched thin, and he stood alone. Even if his southern neighbors were inclined to help him, and they likely weren't. But even if they turned a blind eye to his own efforts at expansionism, and they decided they wanted to help him fight the sons of Rodri, there was still little that they could do. After all, his neighboring kingdoms had problems of their own. Athelred and his Mercians were leading strikes into Glywissing and into Gwent. And in the face of this, the southern kings were buckling under the weight. The west had become a patchwork of war and at the far edge of the kingdom of David, so far to the west of the kingdom that it may have even stood a chance of avoiding the conflict that was raging all throughout the region, lie a monastery that was so ancient that it predated the conversion of the Anglo-Saxons. It was a well-known and respected center of religion and learning, and it still carried the name of its founder, St. David. However, simply because St. David's was a respected center of learning did not free it from its temporal constraints. In particular, the monastery, as well as the parish that it ruled over, had a contentious relationship with King Hyfath of David. Much like the bishoprics of the Anglo-Saxon territories have been learning, fear of a wrathful god could sometimes wane in the face of immediate financial constraints. And such was the case for St. David's. The monastery and lands were repeatedly plundered by King Hyfath and his men. 
The cause for this isn't known, but given the strain that his kingdom was under, I can imagine that there is quite a need for funds to secure the loyalty of his warriors and possibly to pay tribute to those that he could not defeat in battle. War and its corresponding limited resources touched every corner of this kingdom. And it was a fact that was not missed by a young monk who was studying at St. David's. He had grown up in the area, and he was well acquainted with St. David's long before he was tonsured. His relationship with the parish had always been close, and this tonsuring was likely carefully planned for him since he was a boy. It was well known that there were many advantages for joining a monastery, but he had an additional one. He was related to the Archbishop of the region, a man named Nobis. And from this monk's vantage point in St. David's, he couldn't help but notice how much strain warfare was placing upon his community. And it was an issue that came into sharp focus when King Hyfath came calling for additional funding one too many times. And Archbishop Nobis refused. You don't say no to a man like King Hyfath. And suddenly, Archbishop Nobis found himself expelled from his lands. It would have been a shock to everyone at St. David's, and the shock of that event was likely exacerbated for the monk that I mentioned earlier, because he too found himself expelled. We don't know how long the expulsion lasted. We aren't told. But this monk had a keen mind and a strong work ethic. A king would have had to have been a fool to keep someone like this monk on the sidelines forever. And so after a time, King Hyfath softened his stance and allowed the monk to return home to St. David's. And we know this because he wrote about it. You see, this monk's name was Asser. And already he was becoming known for his intellect and likely for his diplomatic talents. After all, it's not every day that a man can overcome the enmity of a king. But he had. And word of his talents was spreading, because it wasn't long before an emissary from King Alfred arrived. And Alfred's fame had already been building. His skill in warfare was well known, but due to his attentions on statecraft and the rebuilding of the scholarly and ecclesiastical institutions, he was now becoming a man of a great deal of renown. And what he offered would have been highly attractive to Asser. St. David's had been under siege by their king, regularly being raided to supplement the royal coffers, and even with men of the cloth being driven from their homes by the king's warriors. And here came a different king, a man who, rather than stealing money from the men of the cloth, was apparently rewarding knowledgeable and pious men with positions in his court and incredible gifts. Alfred must have looked like the polar opposite of what Asser was suffering at home. And the fact that Wessex was currently in a state of peace shouldn't be underestimated. Despite how far Asser's home was from the front lines, this war with North Wales was nonetheless taking a toll upon him. In fact, Asser found the specter of war so troubling and so disruptive of scholarly pursuits that years later he would still be complaining about it. Distance from the sons of Rodri and a king whose interests lay in scholarship and piety would have seemed too good to be true for Asser. And that might explain why he took an interest in what Alfred had to offer. And that was a big leap. You have to keep in mind that these two broad groups had an antagonistic relationship that went back at least to their earliest days. 
In fact, even in the days of Asser's patron saint, the Welsh were already digging in, refusing to even teach the Anglo-Saxons of Christianity. They quite literally wanted them to go to hell. And it wasn't without cause. The Anglo-Saxons and the Welsh had centuries of conflict, and that conflict sometimes escalated to mass murder of the Welsh clergy. And this war, and this ravaging and slaughter, was still continuing to this day. In fact, just to the east of Devid, in Gwent and Glywysing, the Mercians were on the loose. And yet despite those divisions, what Alfred was offering deserved some attention. So after taking the time to prepare for his journey, Asser set off to meet this strange Anglo-Saxon king. But leaving St. David's and reaching Alfred was no easy task. Travel during this period was risky. Going by sea ran the risk of storms, Vikings, and naval patrols. But going by foot was no better, since it involved moving through multiple kingdoms. Kingdoms that were currently at war. One wrong turn, one stroke of bad luck, and Asser's caravan could find itself captured or destroyed by a war band. And even if they managed to dodge the various bands of armed men that patrolled the various kingdoms he would need to pass through, they still had to contend with the fact that this era was marked by xenophobia. Anywhere they went, they would be outsiders. And outsiders were scary. But, eventually, Asser and I presume several companions, quote, arrived in the country of the South Saxons, which in Saxon is called Sussex, end quote. And yeah, even back then, the Welsh were perplexed by the English habit of shortening and slurring place names. So that kind of makes me feel better about not being sure how to pronounce Southwark when I first read it. But the land that Asser was in, Sussex, was part of Alfred's dominion. He was now in West Saxon territory, but it wasn't central Wessex. Winchester was the heart of Anglo-Saxon power, and that was to the east of where Asser was. And our monk still needed to find his way to Alfred. And so Asser tells us that some local South Saxons offered him guidance. But instead of going to Winchester, they went to a place called Denna. And scholars think this was Dean in Sussex. It was a royal ville, but it wasn't Alfred's primary residence. And that strikes me as interesting. While it is possible that Alfred was simply touring his domain, as kings of this period were known to do, and while moving around to oversee the implementation of his new policies wasn't out of the question, it still is interesting that Asser met Alfred there. And actually, the language Asser uses is curious. He tells us how he was given a guide, and then he tells us that he first met Alfred at Denna. He doesn't say that he came to Alfred, nor that he sought him out there, merely that he first met him there. And here's the thing. The arrival of a ship or a caravan, would have likely caught the attention of Alfred's scouts. So it's entirely possible that Alfred knew of Asser's arrival, and when he got word of it, he set out to meet him at a royal ville that would be convenient for Asser, rather than himself. And the reason why I raise this possibility isn't just because the wording is ambiguous, but also because of what comes after. Quote, he received me with kindness, and among other conversation, he besought me eagerly to devote myself to his service and become his friend, and to leave for his sake everything which I possessed in the northern and western side of the Severn, promising that he would give me more than an equivalent for it, as in fact, he did. 
end quote. So the first question I have here, and it seems to be a question without an answer, is what language were they speaking? How did this conversation actually take place? Though beyond the issues of linguistics, we do have some content of these conversations, and it's remarkable. Alfred wasn't just asking for this monk to join his court. He was also promising to bestow lands that were more rich and valuable than the ones that Asser was leaving behind. And keep in mind that Asser was a relative of the archbishop, and thus he was a highborn individual, and he may have had significant lands that answered to him specifically. But let's assume that he didn't. Let's just assume that he was a monk without any lands of his own, that he simply was a servant of his parish. Then what exactly was Alfred promising? The first thing that jumps to my mind was that he was promising to grant him control over lands similar to what was being held by St. David's. Now, we do know that Asser's relative was the archbishop, but we're never really sure what Asser's station was within St. David's. We simply know that he was significant enough to have gained King Hyphat's ire and spent some time under expulsion. And that's led some scholars to raise the possibility that Asser may have been a bishop, which could well explain the nature of Alfred's offer. And given how we've seen Alfred exercising power, I don't think he'd find it very difficult to find an unfavorable bishop or noble and then reallocate their lands. But whatever the nature of the offer, it was clear that it grabbed Asser's attention. And, you know, given the fact that he made that long journey to meet Alfred, it wasn't like he lacked interest. And yet, this was the reaction that he gave to the king's generous offer. Quote, I replied that I could not incautiously and rashly promise such things. For it seemed to me unjust that I should leave the sacred places in which I had been bred and educated, where I had received the tonsure and had at length been ordained, for the sake of any earthly honor and power, unless by force and compulsion, end quote. Really, Asser? If you weren't interested in spending time in Alfred's court, if you're saying that literally the only thing that can make you want to spend time here is force, then why did you make the trip in the first place? I feel like something isn't being said here. But the account continues. Quote, Upon this, he said, If you cannot accede to this, at least grant me half your service. Spend six months with me here and six in Wales. To this I replied, I cannot easily or rashly promise even that without the approval of my friends. At length, however, when I perceived that he really was anxious for my services, though I knew not why, I promised him that if my life were spared, I would return to him after six months with such a reply as should be agreeable to him as well as advantageous to me and mine, end quote. Now keep in mind that these negotiations took place over the course of four days. So you can count on the fact that there's a lot that isn't being reported, a lot of wrangling. And while I have no doubt that Asser truly did want to stay close to his friends and family, I suspect that the larger issues here were political. And I think there were two big ones at play. The first was war. David was a kingdom at war, and it was on the losing side. Wessex, on the other hand, was large, recently victorious, and militarily on the rise. And I find it very hard to believe that King Hyphath didn't know about Asser's trip. 
In fact, I would be willing to put money on the fact that Asser was, at the very least, traveling under King Hyfath's auspices. And he might have even made the journey at his request. Because David needed friends badly. And Alfred needed tutors. The second issue that I suspect was up for debate was the situation at St. David's. This was Asser's home. It was where everyone he knew lived. It was where his family resided and appears to have ruled. And it was also under repeated assault by King Hyfath. And here was the most powerful monarch in the South looking to shower Asser with gifts and asking to be his friend. But if he left St. David's, who knows what would happen to his friends, his family, and his parish. And Asser's piety doesn't strike me as a mask. The sense of duty that you spot between the lines doesn't look like it was an act. Here was a man that was apparently so driven by his sense of obligation to his community that he even faced expulsion by his own king. So packing up and leaving his community to the tender mercies of that same king probably didn't sit all that well with him. In the paragraph that I just read, you can also catch some hints of the type of rule that he was accustomed to. When he was seeking compromise, what he was asking for in return was that his life be spared. Now, maybe Alfred was a clergy-murdering maniac whenever someone told him no, and everyone was simply too afraid to write that down, even when he was dead. However, given that Asser already had dodgy run-ins with his own liege, I wonder if he just thought that all monarchs got a bit stabby whenever they weren't given everything they wanted. Or perhaps he was just afraid of Alfred because he heard all sorts of horror stories about the Saxons. It's hard to say. Whatever the case, though, that phrase does add an interesting development to these negotiations. But apparently, six months in Wessex and six months at St. David's was acceptable to Alfred. And so, after four days of negotiations... They reached an accord, and Asser returned to Wales. But he tells us that he didn't make it all the way back to St. David's. In fact, he didn't even make it back to David. Apparently, he made it no farther than the Kingdom of Gwent, the same Kingdom of Gwent that was having problems with Mercia. And specifically, Asser stopped in the capital of that kingdom. Quote, After our departure... A violent fever seized me in the city of Carowent, where I lay for twelve months and one week, night and day, without hope of recovery. When, at the appointed time, therefore, I had not fulfilled my promise of visiting him, he sent letters to hasten my journey on horseback to him, and to inquire the cause of my delay. As I was unable to ride to him, I sent a reply to make known to him the cause of my delay, and assure him that, if I'd recovered from my illness, I would fulfill what I have promised, end quote. And am I the only one who thinks this sounds a bit fishy? A fever that lasts over a year seems like he's spreading it on a bit thick. Also, how did Alfred's messengers know where to reach Asser in order to inquire about the delay? I mean, this was long before Facebook, so it's not like Asser had a check-in at the local sick house in Kyrwent. So how did they work that out? And the fact that he was laid up in the capital of the kingdom, right across the border from Wessex, well, this whole thing strikes me as a bit odd. And personally, I think the mega fever in Gwent thing might be a load of nonsense. I mean, granted, 
This is all speculation, and we do take his word for a lot of things in the record, so I get it if you think it's a bit strange that I'm suddenly picking this fact to quibble over. But here's the thing. After the illness left him, Asser doesn't go to Alfred. He goes back to St. David's, and he sought, quote, the advice and consent of all my friends, end quote. And here's the critical part, quote, for the benefit of that holy place and all who dwelt therein, end quote. And then he mentions that his time needed to be split between Wessex and Wales, just like they said before, and either six months on, six months off, or three months on, three months off. Pretty normal stuff. But he continues, and he gives us another indication of what was likely going on behind the scenes. Quote, it was also understood that he, that's Alfred, should be in all ways helpful to St. David's, as far as his power extended. For my friends hoped by this means to sustain less tribulation and harm from King Hypheth, end quote. So Asser was hoping to gain Alfred's support in protecting St. David's from their own king, King Hypheth. But I can pretty much hear you asking, what could the King of Wessex do to defend a monastic community in the far western reaches of David? And funny you should ask, because there's something else that was happening at the same time that all this was going on. Asser tells us that at that time, quote, King Hyphath, with all the inhabitants of the region of David, restrained by the violence of the six sons of Rodri, had submitted to the dominion of the king, end quote. The king being Alfred, of course. So David was now a West Saxon subkingdom. And thus, if the sons of Rodri Maurer intended to pursue war with David, they would be making war on Wessex. And that's a hell of a deterrent. And all of this happened at the same time that Alfred was bending over backwards to get his hands on Asser. Now, this could all be a coincidence. Maybe Asser really was sick right at the same time that the Kingdom of David was negotiating with Wessex to gain their military protection. In exchange, of course for subkingdom status. Maybe Asser, one of the only things that Alfred really wanted out of the distant Welsh kingdom, was really just struggling with the worst case of mono the world has ever seen, and there wasn't anything political happening here. Maybe those messengers really did just get lucky, and as they were passing through Gwent, they heard there was a super sweaty monk from Devid in the sick house. Maybe. But... King Hyphath had already demonstrated that he was totally willing to expel monks that displeased him. Secretly holding Asser captive so he could get a better deal doesn't seem like it would be all that much of a stretch for him. And for Asser's part, he appears to have been a savvy guy. Surely he must have known that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And think about what he did after disappearing for over a year. He had some new demands. He didn't just want to spend six months in Wessex and six months at home. He wanted Alfred to keep St. David safe from King Hypheth. And like I said, this could all be coincidence. But if it is, it's a pretty big one. And here's something else that I haven't mentioned yet. On a pure strategy level, taking David didn't have a ton of upsides for Alfred since it was disconnected from the remainder of Wessex. Moving forces to and from David would be a huge pain in the butt. And as for getting taxes, could you think of a better target for bandits and Vikings than a tax transport that had to move through hostile territory? 
Anyone who's played Risk can tell you all the problems that can arise by having one piece of territory that's not connected to the rest of your block. And while the real world is a lot more complicated than board games, the fact remains, accepting Devid had a ton of downsides and very little upside other than Asser. That is, unless it wasn't isolated. Unless it was actually connected to Wessex. Then it would be pretty useful. And here's the part that I left out. When Devid sought to come under the West Saxon sphere of influence, it wasn't alone. Gwent and Glewissing also sought to come under Alfred's umbrella. And that might account for why Asser was absent for so long. Arranging multilateral deals like that wouldn't be easy. And perhaps he was telling the truth. Perhaps he really was stuck in the capital of Gwent for over a year. Maybe he was just fibbing about the fever. And what he really had was a political headache. I don't know. But by the time that Asser finally struck his deal with Alfred and agreed to join his court on a semi-permanent basis, King Heliset of Brecknock, whose kingdom was also terrorized by the sons of Rodri, had submitted to Alfred. But don't forget that it wasn't just the sons of Rodri who had active warbands in the west. Athelred of Mercia was leading strikes into the southwest as well. And King Huel of Glewissing, as well as Kings Brockmail and Fernmail of Gwent, had enough of this. And they were also seeking Alfred's overlordship. So back in Wessex, Alfred had suddenly found himself gaining not just the tutor that he'd been seeking for well over a year, but also the overlordship of large portions of Wales. The violent expansionism of the Sons of Rodri had played right into Alfred's hands. But we would be foolish to ignore the attacks that Athelred made upon Gwent and Glewissing. And those were attacks that were specifically called out by Asser as the motivating factor that led them to accept Alfred as their overlord. And don't forget the issue that this period has with timing. We don't know exactly when Athelred became Alfred's subject. It's entirely possible that Alfred already ruled Mercia. And actually, in reporting these events, Asser doesn't call Athelred a king. He just calls him a mere elderman. And that makes me wonder if he was acting on Alfred's behalf. After all, these raids were much more beneficial to Wessex than they would have been for Mercia. But regardless of the cause for all the fighting, the fact of the matter was that the end result of all this chaos in the West was that lands were rapidly coming under the dominion of Wessex without Alfred even having to muster a single warband. And in between his literature lessons... I have to imagine that Alfred was beginning to wonder what it would take to bring these warlike northern Welsh kingdoms under his control as well. The sons of Rodri had shown their skill in war. Alfred could use people like that under his command. In less than a decade, the political landscape of large portions of Britain had been upended. And now, Wessex, which had been teetering on the edge of oblivion, was fast becoming a regional superpower. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. Join us at British Podcast. And if you'd like to join any of our other communities, you can find links to all of them in the upper right-hand corner of thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.